Sholem Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze, the podcast of the Yiddish Book Center. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Amy Kurzweil. Amy is a cartoonist and writer who lives in Brooklyn. She teaches in writing and comics at Parsons School of Design and at the Fashion Institute of Technology. Her work can be found in The New Yorker, and her short stories have appeared in The Toast, The Washington Square Review, Hobart, and Shenandoah, among other places. Her recently published Flying Couch was named a Best Graphic Novel of 2016 and an Editor's Choice by the New York Times and a Best Memoir of 2016 by Kirkus Reviews. Welcome, Amy. Hi, thanks for having me. Delighted to have you here with us today. Yeah. Your graphic, uh, you refer to it as a graphic memoir. Um, yeah, that's the that's the official term. Okay, uh, flying couch tells the story of three generations of women: you, the artist; your mother, the psychologist; and your grandmother, the survivor. Can you share a bit of background about your grandmother and your mother and yourself as well? Uh, yeah, sure. My, um, I guess I'll start with my grandmother. She's the hero of the book. So, my grandmother was born in Warsaw in 1926. And um, if you want to know her full story, you should read the book, but I'll give you the the arc of it. She um, left the Warsaw Ghetto through a hole in the wall, and she um, was told by her father, "You, uh, we think you can make it, get out of here. And she had four sisters. She left her family, and nobody else made it out. She survived by herself walking around Poland, disguised herself as a Gentile, um, Eventually, she made it miraculously. She met my grandfather, and um, eventually my mother was born once they made it to Germany. My mother was born in a DP camp there, and uh, eventually they managed to immigrate to America. They were sent to Detroit, and my mother grew up um, as a Midwestern girl. And eventually she moved to Boston, where she became a psychologist, um, and I was born in Boston, and um, the book starts with my life um, as a typical American Jewish girl living in a, in a suburb, Newton, Mass. Um, I had a, a comfortable life, but I had some, I had curiosity about this past that I grew up hearing about in fragments from my mother, from my grandmother. It didn't make sense to me how I could be so comfortable, and yet there could be this shadow of history that came up over and over again. And I developed these dark curiosities about that uh, time in history and eventually what it might mean to me. Um, and so I think the curiosity about that story was with me for most of my childhood, but it, it really blossomed when I left home and I started to feel all these anxieties about leaving home and questioning my attachment to home and my attachment to my family and what that was about. The more I started learning about my grandmother's story, uh, the more it it made sense to me that I had inherited something from this history and learning more about my grandmother's story, which I did once I was in college, helped me understand some of the things that I'd inherited. Was it hard for your grandmother to be part of this process or was she very open to it? To be part of the process of the book. Of, of tell, and, and of the telling of the story. And telling, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so background about her telling of the story. In the 90s, she did an interview with um, a Holocaust historian, 
at the University of Michigan. There was an oral history project there. And so I was still a young kid when that happened. And so, when yeah, when I was a small child, you know, growing up in Boston, and meanwhile over in Michigan, my grandmother was having this um, unprecedented moment of sharing her story from beginning to end with this stranger. And so I, you know, I was around, but I didn't hear that whole story until much later. But it's interesting to me that that process for her of storytelling and being so open for the first time about what had happened to her was happening right when I was a, a child, even though I wasn't actually in the room listening to it. Um, and so I, I imagine for her that that process was a, a long time coming to, to finally have somebody who she could tell everything that had happened to, because uh, so many survivors, of course, were not and continue not to be open about it. But I think my grandmother was always more on the spectrum of wanting to share. She's a very expressive, very exuberant um, person who's oriented towards connection with other people through storytelling. She's always been that way. But I don't think that she ever really had a chance to do that until that interview that happened in the 90s. And I think what happened, and I think this is common, um, for those in her position, once she was asked, especially by a stranger, to tell that story, you know, everything, that unlocked something. And I, I imagine, this is speculation, but I imagine that she became much more open after that experience and then would tell the story often unprompted. And that, that was something that I experienced as a kid and maybe why I was so curious about the whole story, because I have such vivid memories of her suddenly launching into a part of it. And I don't know if she would have been that way if she hadn't had that opportunity to tell that whole story to this historian. Um, and so I found that story transcribed because my mother gave it to me. And so it was a transcription of the oral history that she'd done. And I literally walked around in college with that document. It was a physical object that I related to. And would slowly, I had a sort of attraction aversion to it, but I slowly made my way through the whole thing. And so it it wasn't coming directly from her. It was coming from this recording that she'd done. And then I could, you know, check things with her and check things with my mother once I decided that I wanted to tell the, tell the story and, and draw it. And it's interesting, my grandmother, you know, once she understood that I was writing a book about her, she felt very validated and was exuberantly supportive of the project. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how much, I mean, you know, my story doesn't just, my book doesn't just tell her story. It tells a lot of other anecdotes mm -hmm. about my relationship with her and my relationship with my mother. The real sort of story that I'm telling is about how my grandmother's history has affected subsequent generations. So I don't know exactly, you know, how much my grandmother understands all the nuances of the book. But I know that insofar as she is this cultural hero of my story, she feels incredibly validated. I mean, it's overwhelming, actually, how exuberant she's been about it. Um, I was just in Naples, Florida, doing um, an event for the Jewish Book Festival down there, and my grandmother actually got to come. And it was just, she was couldn't sleep for weeks. She was so excited. And then when it happened, all her friends from her condo in Florida came, and she was just talking about it for days afterwards. She said it was like the best moment of her life. She's just so happy. I'm really surprised. She's just so excited about it. I was going to ask you um, how it was received by your family because it does seem like a gift. Uh, and 
the way that you weave together the clips from her oral history just it's a great way I don't want to call it a device but it works so beautifully and seamlessly in terms of helping you as you're trying to discover this story as well and I wondered if a graphic novel is a great format for this in terms of storytelling yeah I think it is there are a lot of reasons why this form I think worked really well for this particular project I should say I wasn't I wasn't really a dedicated visual artist when I first started this book. I was always more of a writer, and then after I read certain graphic memoirs like Mouse and Fun Home, I decided I felt bitten by the bug of graphic novel, and I, I felt that this story was the right story to pursue that genre in. And I think the reason has something to do with the way juxtaposition works in a graphic novel. You get there's so much meaning made out of putting things next to each other. So mm-hmm. you put an image next to a piece of text. And, you know, the first rule of graphic novels and comics in general is you do not have one do the job of the other. They have to do something different. Um, and so juxtaposition, just the simple act of putting things next to each other, tells a whole story. And I felt like that was really what I was doing by just putting my grandmother's story next to my story and to see and look for the resonance between the two, often in terms of how different they might be. Um, I don't know, for example, a theme in my life was dancing. I I have always liked to dance and grew up dancing. And um, there's this moment where my mother and I, we go back to Germany um, to see where my mother lived for a few years of her life. And they lived in this ballroom dance studio in the attic. And so it was interesting to be in this dance studio, this kind of building that I'm so familiar with, this place where people take dance classes. And then there's a scene where I'm kind of in my mind dancing and imagining my own associations with the dance studio and then thinking about what that building was for my family, Um, just the resonance of, of how different, you know, there's this one thing that you have all these associations with and then the way that the different generations relate to it it's just so different and illuminates how how much through generations people have experienced such different things. It's, inter- um, it's, it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned putting these different elements side by side because mm-hmm. it it is a very powerful way of helping to, I think, elaborate the story of cultural identity, cultural transmission, and helps to understand how your Jewish roots inform, well, you know, in this case, who you are in ways that may have surprised you along the way. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I I think especially drawing, um, drawing allows certain symbols to really crystallize. So certain symbols like um, trees and furniture, flying couch, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, the symbol of the couch and drawing that couch over and over again and thinking about how that symbolism has evolved and what it meant, what a couch meant to my grandmother and what a couch meant to my mother, uh, what a couch meant to me. Um, Drawing helps those symbols sort of resonate more. Um, I also feel that with drawing, there's an emotional immediacy to drawing. And when I draw, I feel that I'm taking on certain abstractions or certain emotions actually physically onto my body. 
Um, like whenever I draw a certain facial expression, I start to make that face on my own face. Um, so this was a story of trying to understand how experiences of the past affect me in the present and in finding and exploring that I'm actually taking these abstractions and emotions into my body. There's something very profound about that experience. It felt like drawing helped me get to that emotional truth in a really immediate way. And and you refer to this as sort of your coming of age mm-hmm. as a memoir. And again, I wondered if it in its finished form tells a very well a broader story do you do you see that or do you still feel as though it is so tied to the the three of you or that there is some resonance on a more yeah i i definitely feel that it i don't think i would have stuck with this book for so long if i didn't feel that it echoed not just for jews but for so many different immigrant groups in America. I felt very strongly like just something about the three of us and the dynamics that I was noticing and recording felt just so American. The sense of, you know, there's a, a really profound, often traumatic history of loss and so many people and so many rituals are lost. And, and then there is this kind of salvation found in America, um, and the prosperity of America, especially for Jews who immigrated around the time that my mother and my grandmother immigrated, um, as a time of, of relative prosperity. So to find that prosperity, and then for my generation, you know, the millennials, <laughs> to um, struggle to understand how all those things that were lost continue to be relevant, that to me just feels so American, you know, that, that question of how we connect to the past and um, so much, we have so much privilege and yet we are, uh, we've lost something and we're, we're trying to figure out exactly what that is. Well, it's a really, really powerful book. Um, a <laughs> great read, visually appealing, and um, it makes me want to meet your grandmother, to be perfectly honest. Oh, yes. She would love to meet you. <laughs> um, <laughs> she and- would welcome you with open arms. Um, quickly before I let you go, uh, what are you working on now? Well, I'm I'm working on my next book, which is another graphic memoir, and this, but it's hmm, this one also involves exploring um, a generation of European Jews who were affected by World War II. This time on my father's side, um, but this one will also explore some futuristic ideas. Uh, my father is a futurist and an inventor, and his father uh, left Vienna before the war, and his life was saved um, basically because he was a brilliant musician, and there was an American Jew who heard one of his concerts and was so taken by him that she said to him, if you ever need any help, let me know. And in 1938, my grandfather needed help, so he called her up and then she sponsored him to come to America and my father was born here. And um, my father, an engineer, an inventor, somebody who thinks about technology and the future, has been saving all these items from his father in the storage unit. Um, I never met his father. His father died quite young, but my father is preserving the legacy of this person. Um, And I'm interested in what 
that memory of this person might look like in the future as technology gets more sophisticated and um, technologies of preservation, artificial intelligence, as those things um, increase in intelligence, what will the memory of, of these past people look like? And I, yeah, I'm in the writing stage, <laughs> so there's still a lot that I'm trying to figure out, but I'm excited about this project and hoping this summer I can buckle down and get to work on it. I hope so, because it sounds yeah. like yet again another incredible story. Um, mining, yeah. mining these family stories is not only important, but they're such compelling, and as you say, in some respects, very universal uh, yeah, stories. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel strongly about that. It's, it's, sometimes there's a strangeness about feeling like you're exposing yourself or you're you know, why you're my, myopically focused, just thinking about your family and yourself. But it, I've written fiction, too, and I just keep feeling like when I write about the things that I know so well and that I have such a strong emotional connection to that I get to this larger universal truth. Um, I mean, I'm not wedded to that, but that continues for me to feel like the source of the greatest inspiration. So I'm sticking with it for now. And it seems like you've succeeded with that mission. Um, I, yeah, thank you. Um, I wonder if it's okay if we can share the trailer that um, is on your website uh, as we go yeah. out this afternoon um, with your conversation with your grandmother, because I think it speaks to some of what we've talked about, and it's actually so lovely to hear her voice. So Yeah, her voice is wonderful. I wish I could do it justice, but <laughs> she's got to speak for herself. <laughs> you've told her story brilliantly um so and quickly again before i put the trailer on where can people find the book uh i know we have it in our bookstore um which is uh we'll put on with the podcast and our website and do you have Mm -hmm. a website as well yeah my website is amycurswild.com so people can check out my other work there and the book is on amazon should be in the graphic novel section of many bookstores. Um, yeah, you can get it on Amazon. It's probably the easiest way. Or on the Yiddish Book Center's bookstore. Um, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> shop shop org. Uh, again, it's great. Amy Kurzweil. The work is Flying Couch, a graphic memoir. Thank you so much for the work, and we wish you well with the next book and hope you'll come back on as soon as that's published. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. So you understand what we're doing? I understand. You ask questions, so I just say I'm Lily Fenster and I'm a Holocaust survivor. Okay, so tell everyone about yourself. Huh? How do you feel about being a character in my book? (laughs) I love it. I mean, with big hair and it's also like a caricature. How you pronounce it? So, you know, but why did you pick that? I have no idea. Who would like to know for an old Jewish woman to... Is it going to be successful? Sonia is a PhD child psychologist for children. I raised as much as I could. Amy has a heart as gold. She was my first granddaughter, and she wants to feel what I went through. One thing I would like is to get married.
Look it. Family should stick together. Friends are friends, but that's your flesh. If you have a good family life, you have a good life. You survive. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. This episode is produced by me, Alexa Sewing. And until next time, be well and be healthy.